you know, it's really, it's the stuff of fear in churches or the stuff of jokes and cartoons. The idea that immediately after we die, we go before a judge. You know, St. Peter is standing there before the gates, and if we don't answer correctly, we don't get in, we get sent to another place. Or uh, God is pictured as being on this great throne or as a sort of judge in a courtroom, judging what we did in this life, again, with reward or punishment waiting. Or, you know, this is, this is multicultural. In, in the Egyptian land of the dead, you, you go before Osiris, and there's a feather on one side of, of a scale and your heart on the other. And if it's weighed down with any heavy deeds, not good for you. And so I love this twist on the idea of what, what we are called to uh, answer for when we die. That comes from the Talmud, the collection of Jewish uh, law and lore and advice and stories. The Talmud says, among its many, many volumes of wisdom, all of us will be called to account in the next life. For when we had a feast laid before us and did not eat. I love the idea that that's what God will say to us. Look what I created. Look at this light. Listen to those birds. Look at the lupins and the faces of all these people. Look at this feast I laid before you. Did you enjoy it? Did you partake? I came around to, to this thought when I, was, um, when I was set a problem for this sermon, a problem that many, many of us deal with on our own, including me. Dave Jewett was, um, was talking to me, struggling with death, the idea that death awaits. And uh, even if you've had a long life and are in good health, at some point you realize it's coming closer. And um, this was happening for Dave. We had a good conversation. I'm sharing this um, with his permission, of course. And um, I said, uh, you know, your, your son-in-law, David Chen, um, he, he bid on the sermon at uh, YouTube. I preach on this. And David and Dave conferred. Said, "Sure, sure. This is the, this is the sermon. Preach on, preach on this conversation. Preach on where it went." What Dave said to me. Uh, so here it is. What Dave said to me. He quoted something that he probably guessed correctly that I would recognize. He said, "What do you do when you're tired of living but scared of dying?" It's from the song "Old Man River," beautiful old song. I get weary and sick of trying. I'm tired of living but scared of dying. I think a lot of what we do when we think about the fact that death is inevitable, especially when it seems imminent, we don't think about it at all. We don't let it into our minds. We don't let it into our feelings. Our whole body pushes away. But, um, you know, that's not... That's not much of an answer. That's not a way to engage with the things that are before us. 
inevitabilities such as we're going to die. So what else do we do when we're scared? What could we be doing instead? And even for some people, obviously, they're afraid of the afterlife, but even those who are not particularly afraid that they're going to be judged who think, as Dave thinks, as I think, you know, I think probably this is just it. I just kind of turn off one day. It could be scary. So I thought about the people I've known who, um, who don't seem to be afraid. I've seen them. People dear to me, people in this congregation, who come to death with a sense of peace, um, a sense of joy even in what life has been for them, and they're ready. They're not scared. They're ready to go. I wanted to learn from that. And I thought, you know, I think maybe they've been living the Talmud answer. Because it's like what God says in that, in that little parable. What God says is, life is a party. If you don't like parties, say a meal of all your favorite things to eat around a table with all your favorite people. Maybe you do like a party with all your favorite music and, and, and everybody's dancing. Or there's a buffet spread with chocolate desserts. Now, when you have an experience like that in life, when you are at your favorite kind of gathering, doing your favorite things, and it's time for you to go, are you scared? Not scared. We're sad, maybe. Oh, I wish I could eat just one more thing. It all looks delicious, but I am full. Or I'm just tired, and I got to go. I wish I could stay longer. Sometimes we might have regrets. We might say, there was something I really wanted to do. When I came in, I saw that person over there, and I really want to talk to them. So we try to do whatever we really, really want to do before it's time to leave the party. It's time to leave the feast. And then we go. It's OK. Now, of course, we always have the thought that there will be other parties. It's hard to leave the last one. It is. But it's not scary. It's just, it's just a little sad. So I'm thinking in this, in this regard of Miss Rumpheus and this, and this lesson that, that the book wants to teach us. I mean, for Miss Rumpheus, life is a feast. So, and people have pointed out, um, first of all, as, as Grace said uh, here uh, in, the, in the service, I thought the same thing. Uh, she said in the Zoom chat, um, you know, before I learned about invasive species, that story was more fun. Yeah, okay, you know, spreading lupins everywhere, even the native species, maybe not such a good idea. I've been trying to cultivate our native lupins in my garden. It's not so easy. Um, I wish I could just sow, uh, you know, other kind of lupins, but yeah, there's other ways to make things beautiful. But I've just been thinking about the fact also that, um, you know, that she had a pretty good life. Okay, she's a librarian, so I don't know where she gets the money. Maybe her grandfather left it to her or whatever to travel and then to, to buy a nice little house. Life has been pretty good for her. And even when she goes 
uh, goes abroad and she goes to these places. Um, she, sees the, she sees the good side. She sees camels and happy people. She doesn't see, you know, cholera and shanty towns. But maybe she does. Maybe she does. Because something that's in the story um, is that wherever she goes, she makes friends. And I thought, well, if we're called upon to make the world more beautiful, Miss Rumphius thought that she still hadn't done that until she got back to her cottage by the sea and started planting flowers, but she had. She had been, she had been sowing seeds of love and friendship wherever she went. And that's something also that we can do. We can, we can meet people with love, with friendship, with compassion, or I think this is another word for love, really, with kindness. Kindness is love we show to people we might not even know. That uh, we meet somebody, they're having a bad day, maybe they're being impatient, and we respond with kindness. We've made the world a little more beautiful with that love. This is what I hear from people who are approaching death but seem fine, seem to be at peace. They speak of love. They say their lives have been full of love. They love and they know themselves to be loved. Which is another worry, way of saying they've spent their lives making the world a more beautiful place. So you might plant you know, native species, lovely way to make the world more beautiful, or you might reduce unnecessary deaths, like from poverty and cholera or any other number, any number of other ways. So, another thing that I thought of um, when I was thinking about this question of how do we meet the end of our days, if it's not, um, if it's not St. Peter at the gates or somebody on a desert island, one of the favorite uh, situations for a single frame <coughs> comic is the tombstone. What's on the tombstone? So I saw a, a cartoon recently that was a tombstone. And on it was a Venn diagram. So I knew right away, needed to share it with my family. We have kind of a thing about Venn diagrams. I don't know how that came to be. So Venn diagrams are those overlapping circles, you know. So um, there's two circles on this tombstone. Circle here, labeled eternity before. Circle here, labeled eternity after. And in the middle, John Venn, 1838 to 1923. 1924. <laughs> no, 1834 to 1923. His actual date's the inventor of the Venn diagram. And that little overlapping bit of the eternities. That's where we are. That's what we get. There's eternity before we're born and eternity after we die. And in between, we get what feels like a very small But I had a new perspective on this because of a practice I've been doing for the last few months. Before the year started, I decided that I was going to draw a leaf every day through the year. And uh, because I can get paralyzed by decisions, I said, I'm just going to work my way through the Audubon Field Guide to Western Trees. And whichever one comes next each day, I'm going to find a picture. If I don't actually have easy access to that tree um, and its leaves, I will find a picture um, and draw a leaf of that tree that day. Moving along. 
Um, well, it sounds like drawing practice, and it's very good for my drawing ability, no question. It's really helping, but it's really a spiritual practice. It's a spiritual practice. And the reason is because I can't draw a leaf without really looking at it, and without really, I can't look at it without really thinking about its life. You know, it, 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 they all look like they're the same on one tree, on one twig at first, and then it quickly becomes apparent that they're not. It looks like they're all green, but it quickly becomes clear that there are lots of different colors of green and other colors mixed in as well. You can see kind of the life story of any given leaf. This is just a leaf, right? Not even the organism. One tiny piece of a big organism, big and old organism. And but I can see, like, oh, a, 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 I can see an insect nibbled there. Or this leaf is a little shriveled. It's like it, it, it didn't quite get its water or nutrients as it was unfolding, and the other ones around it did. And it's just fascinating. Everything is there um, as, as I look closely. And I, I looked under a microscope, you know, a picture that somebody else had taken a, a microscopic leaf, and you can just see all the cells again. They, they seem at first uniform, but they're not uniform, all these cells that make up a leaf and all the things they do. And you know, talk about a sliver of eternity. These leaves, they are so complex, they're so beautiful. They have everything, they do everything that they need to do. They, they have these incredible, in, in the course of, of days or weeks, they grow these incredible systems to respire and excrete and do all the things that leaves need to do for the tree. And they're just one of millions, possibly, on this one organism, of which there are millions. It's amazing. And they live so short a time. Most of them live for just weeks or months, some for several years. Like, we think we have this much eternity, you know, what the piece of eternity that a leaf has is less than a blink of an eye. Now, I don't know, I don't imagine that leaves have feelings about any of this. But if they did, I think it would be joy. Like they're living, they're doing everything, and they build all this incredible complexity, and then they die. They just fall off the tree, or they shrivel, or they get eaten by a, by a bug, or attacked by a fungus, and their time is done. In between all this beauty and mastery and complexity. So I find that helpful. Like I get this, I have this joy in the beauty of their contemplation, but I also imagine there's a joy just in being, just in being beautiful. So we, John Venn and the others who are just this little overlapping piece of eternity, do we feel it? That, to me, is that response to, okay, I, I have to leave the feast soon. What am I going to do? And I don't mean acquiring stuff or even having more experiences or anything, because something else you'd learn, if like Ms. Rumphius, you travel around the world, or if you just look at studies, as this is shown over and over again by research, is that the vast majority of the world, which is vastly more poor than any of us here in this room right now, are just as happy. It's not the stuff 
that makes you happy. It's not even the experiences of going to all these amazing places, although that's great. That's all great to be able to do. It's the, are they there at the feast? Are they creating the beauty of love and connection with other people and all the things we do to make the world more beautiful? I want to share one thing from Mary Gregolia. Um, because I learned, as I was thinking about this and talking to Dave about this, um, I learned about her experience of writing that song. I know this rose will open. I know my fear will burn away. She's a minister. She's a Unitarian Universalist minister. And she says she wrote this song um, as an assignment in a class she was doing in seminary on death and dying. They needed to write a eulogy, their own eulogy. Good exercise. And she said, well, I'm a songwriter. I'm going to write a song. And she got all ready, she said. She got her tea and her notebook and her proper chair and her way of thinking and everything went out into the garden to prepare her creative process. And nothing. Nothing came. The assignment loomed. She had nothing. So she gathered up all her stuff, all the things that she used to create her to help her creative process get going and got her empty tea cup and her chair and notebook and went back into the house and as she crossed the threshold she said the song came to her complete the whole round just sang its way into her head and what she had to say about that I thought was good for us here what I take from the experience she says, is the great responsiveness of the universe slash spirit slash deep and creative self. When we allow ourselves to be present, to be at the feast, I would say, to be at the feast, to listen, to sing along, but not to assume we can control its scope or view. And isn't that one of the things that frightens us about death? We can't control it. We don't get to decide. Now we can't, just like she couldn't control when creativity would emerge. She says, I know this rose is the answer to my invitation to the deep self. The way I hear it, the way I feel it, I am the rose. Opening is in my nature, even when it comes time to let go of this body practice. I love that way of saying, even when it comes time to die. I know this rose will open. And although I may feel afraid of the changes, afraid of the unknown I can't control, afraid of allowing the ego to follow the calling of something deeper, I know those fears will burn away in the fire of transformation, this very physical practice of loving and living and letting go. And as my fear burns away, I know, I trust, that the wings of my heart, my soul, will unfurl their wings, my wings. She says, yes, I know this rose will open. I am the rose. We are all the rose opening. May we all trust in the opening. You know, we don't get to lay the feast. We can add to it. We just have to trust that it is all opening. We are all opening. 
And so that's, that's what we've got in dealing with this inevitable fact that death is coming for us all, each of us in our time, to enjoy life, what is given to us, like a great feast, like a wonderful party that we have to leave soon. To be sad about having to leave it, but not afraid. It's not scary to come to the end of something good. And to add to it, to make the world more beautiful, especially by creating love wherever we go. May it be so for all of us.